A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 419. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Ivor the Engine. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. This is a small films animated children's show. We've talked about some before. This one was originally in black and white on ITV with six 10-minute episodes that ran in 1958 and then a larger, slightly different version in 1959 that had 26 10-minute episodes. And it was then remade and reintroduced in 1976 and 1977, this time on the BBC, with 40 five-minute colour episodes. So we have a variety of different pieces to talk about. We do, but I am so glad that we are continuing our journey through the various shows produced by small films because Ivor the Engine, we have a charming, it's paper cutout animation, stop motion animation of paper cutouts on backdrops about the adventures of this small steam powered railway engine in rural Wales. And it is... I'm going to spoil it in advance, Brian. It's utterly charming and wonderful. There is something very charming in a lot of this. But why don't we get into the setup for now? Well, as the narrator tells us, not so very long ago, Ivor the Engine is a small, green, steam-powered locomotive engine that works for the Merioneth and Lanticelli Railway Traction Company somewhere, as it's described, in the top left-hand corner of Wales. That's how the narrator introduces us in the first episode. Yes, and Ivor works as a vital link for his small community, transporting sometimes people, but very often supplies and animals and news and various things up and down the railway. And he is helped by his engineer driver, Edwin Jones, or Jones the Steam. And we have a cast of eccentric supporting characters, both people and animals. We do. We're going to talk about some wonderful creatures in a moment. And yeah, we have quite a diverse and interesting supporting cast and an interesting show. Absolutely. So we'll start the characters with Ivor the Engine himself. His puffing noise is voiced by Oliver Postgate. And it's quite a neat, in the 70s version, quite a neat set of sounds for Ivor the Engine moving around. And his whistle, his multiple note whistle, is supplied by a bassoon. So there's a nice deep bass sound that goes along with Ivor the Engine. And he is definitely a character. He doesn't speak, but the other characters can talk to him and communicate with him. He responds with the whistle sounds. And he's very much a character who can do his own thing and acts sort of like a person, even though it's this limited communication. Indeed. Yes, quite a personality as Ivor. 
Also, he, of course, has his driver, the very helpful and kindly Edwin Jones, also known as Jones the Steam. We were talking before we recorded about this idea that very people with very common repeated surnames would sometimes be differentiated by their job title. So Edwin Jones becomes Jones the Steam, and often, appropriate enough, is to be found making a cup of tea using Ivor's boiler, but also helping out with the various uh, little adventures and tasks that Ivor has. And of course, Jones the Steam was voiced by Oliver Postgate, again, a, a name that you're going to be hearing us say a lot. Yes, absolutely. And he has a very kindly manner and is always sympathetic and helpful and helps drive the story along much of the time, along with Ivor the Engine himself. Die Station is the station master who often sends them on errands and sometimes tells them what they should and shouldn't be doing, but is also very helpful and will help Ivor and help them get things done and sometimes goes off with them on the train, but is usually back at the station, voiced by Anthony Jackson. Then we have the local choir master, Evan Evans, to give him his full name, but known in the show as Evans the Song. And I'll say that this show features a fair bit of the rich tradition of Welsh choral music, something that I'm sure I'm going to get to ask you about in our next episode, Brian. And also the characters, or in fact, there's a couple of interesting characters who wish to join Evans the Song's choir, one of them being Ivor himself. And Evans the Song was voiced also by uh, the actor Anthony Jackson. Yeah, fun character there as Evan Evans. Idris is a dragon, a small red Welsh dragon. They referred to him at one point as a dragon from Welsh heraldry. So dragons in this are quite small flying creatures that breathe flame. And they find him on top of a dormant volcano where he is keeping warm in Wales and often keeps warm in Ivor's firebox and has a beautiful singing voice and becomes a member of the choir as well. Voiced by Alwyn Griffiths and Idris is a fun character and sort of their own take on what a dragon is like and the dragons have to be red hot and stay most of the time somewhere that is very hot and Ivor's firebox is one of the options so that comes up fun stuff to have a dragon in the show very much so and also we've got all the other I've put minor characters in our notes let's call them supporting characters uh, many of them of course all voiced by this small cast of Oliver Postgate Anthony Jackson and Alwyn Griffiths you know, characters human and animal will crop up throughout the run of Ivor the Engine. Yes, and we have one-offs and we have lots of recurring characters and it's quite a fun, eclectic bunch. Indeed. So let's get on board with Jones the Steam on board Ivor the Engine and find out what he's up to in this small rural part of Wales at the top left-hand corner not so very long ago. Interestingly, I noted that we don't often see him pull in straightforward passenger cars. Usually, Ivor has got a job to deliver a parcel, 
rescue some animals. He delivers other things as well. He's sort of an interesting part of the local community in this portrayal of rural Wales, isn't he, Brian? Yes, we don't see him sort of running a scheduled service. He's more sort of doing errands of running things from place to place. Sometimes it's a big load of cargo or it's coal or it's someone's hat that has just been purchased. And occasionally it's a person, but usually they're goods or sometimes animals. Indeed. And we have a very definite personality to Ivor that comes out through the animation and in the the writing and how the whistles sound and so on. And often Ivor will decide what he wants to do, what he's willing to do, and will do things that Jones does not ask him to or will not do things that Jones does ask him to. But there's always a good reason for it and it always turns out okay. Sometimes he gets sad and they find things that will cheer him up. He very much has a personality and is quite a vibrant character. And that's part of the fun of this show. It is. And it's amazing how much personality for Ivor comes across in the animation and the puffing noises and the whistle, but no vocalizations as such. But as you say, Brian, he does have these sort of what you might call minor acts of rebellion, but he always has an extremely good reason for doing what he's doing. And it's actually, it's usually for the better. And it will, of course, these, his personality will help us be introduced to the various other characters in the community, some very eccentric ones, the mine worker, Mr. Dinwiddie, Bluebell the donkey, Alice the elephant. There's a there's a small elephant in this top left-hand corner of Wales as well. So yeah, the charm of his personality and the way he sort of goes around the tasks he's been given all adds to the charm of the show. Yes, the elephant is, of course, attached to a circus that is around some of the time. Yes, that one does have a plausible explanation. (laughs) So it's production notes. Once we have dragons, we may as well have elephants, right? Indeed, yes. And dormant Welsh volcanoes. So yes, let's get into our production notes at this point. Okay, so as you'll probably know, this is the third time we have visited the world of small films and their productions, their famous animated children's shows in a variety of animation styles. We have done, of course, Clangers back on episodes 342 and 343. We had a great time on that one. We've also done Bagpuss more recently, episodes 403 and 404. And here we are for the third time of asking with another production from this small company. Yeah, we're trying to do roughly one a year at this point and having fun with them. So the series was, of course, created by Oliver Postgate and Peter Furman. They were working out of a converted cowshed studio on Furman's farm near Canterbury in Kent. And, uh, you know, they, they were doing things with very few resources, just sort of putting things together and coming up with some quite cleverly done things. Postgate and Furman first worked together on a series called Alexander the Mouse, which used characters that were moved across a painted backdrop with magnets to produce a sort of puppet show, slightly different puppet medium that has 
has a more animated look to it, I would think. So interesting way they started out with that. Yes, interesting technique using these magnets to animate the puppets uh, or the characters. They then went on to work together on a stop-motion animated show, which was mainly intended for deaf children. This was called The Journey of Master Ho, and featured a boy and his buffalo sort of having adventures across a background that was inspired by the famous willow plate pattern, again painted by Peter Furman. As far as I know, Alexander the Mouse and The Journey of Master Ho, there's only images and occasional snippets that have survived. I'm not aware that they're in the archive, Brian. Right. But of course, these early successes with animation let them set up small films. I'm glad you've mentioned the famous uh, Cowshed Studio, which we have to discuss every time we come to their productions. And of course, they began work on Ivor the Engine. And there's a certain amount of inspiration for this show, which came from Oliver Postgate's time in drama school after World War II in 1948. And while at drama school, he met a man called Denzil Ellis, who used to be a train driver uh, working on, strangely enough, on the National, uh, or rather on the Royal Scott Line, which ran between London and Glasgow. But he was a Welsh train driver, and he was sort of the inspiration for what would become Ivor the Engine. Yes, it's interesting. Apparently, Ellis was describing how the steam engines would come to life, you know, as you got the boiler going, and each one seemed to have its own personality. So it's sort of a perfect place to take that further to say, what if it was really a personality and had sort of its own character altogether? Postgate was also inspired by the and Thomas radio play Under Milkwood, which first aired in 1954 on the radio and featured the dreams and thoughts and things that went on with the inhabitants of a fictional Welsh fishing village. That production actually had Richard Burton as the, the narrator. And of course, at that time, radio programs were often narrated and with some of these, you know, animated television programs were as well. And I would say that that radio play thankfully has survived in the archive and listening to Richard Burton's voice introduced Under Milk Wood is, I've listened to it, it's wonderful, Brian, you know, a, very, a really sort of remarkable use of uh, Burton's voice, I think. Oh, interesting. I may have to listen to some of that. So back to Ivor the Engine. Oliver Postgate, of course, came up with the characters and he wrote all the scripts himself. But of course, his partner, Peter Furman, would take care of all the artwork. So he designed the characters, did the scenery, painted the actual various versions and produced them on these sort of cardboard cutouts, which they would then use in their stop motion animation technique using a 16 millimeter Bolex camera in the famous, as I said, Cowshed Studio. So there they are, these little sort of cardboard cutout characters on beautiful painted backdrops, stop motion animation, and it's all been done in a converted shed at the back of Peter Furman's farm in Kent. Yeah, absolutely. And this was true stop motion. So they would have the Bolex camera you described, set everything up and take one image with it, one frame, and then move things around just very slightly and take the next frame. And, you know, 25 frames per second. So you're doing you know, many thousands of these individual photos to make this animated sequence. 
And what they would do for this, they had watercolor paintings that Furman was doing that would be used for the background and, uh, you know, sort of figures of the characters that would move, I think also watercolored, that they would place on the background and move those around for each photo in order to get something animated. And while it was watercolor, it was being filmed in black and white with that that 16 millimeter camera for broadcast on ITV. And that was for these original six episodes in black and white in 1958. And those six episodes had Oliver Postgate not only writing and doing the narration, but he also did all of the voices. They later in, uh, later on, they introduced other voices, but he was doing all of it in that original run of six. And the story arc of that run of uh, six 10-minute episodes, uh, roughly 10-minute episodes, had the idea that Ivor loved listening to the local choir and wanted to take part and sing in the local choir. And we get how Ivor goes from having this one very simple whistle to a set of much more capable whistles to be able to play or as they say sing in the local choir it's a charming little run of uh, six episodes absolutely and they were then commissioned by itv to make another 26 black and white episodes and that was the run that aired in 1959 and that was what introduced more voices yes as far as we know because obviously oliver postgate does the voices for the six episodes as far as we know anthony jackson and Alwyn Griffiths do come on board for the 1959 black and white ones. Although, as you'll hear in a moment, we haven't been able to watch those 26 episodes, and we'll tell you why momentarily. We do know, of course, one collaborator we can be sure of is Vernon Elliott, who was the composer and musician for small films. He wrote the music for Ivor the Engine, particularly that solo bassoon, which is so important because it provides... Ivor's whistles it's also the theme sort of instrument it's very distinctive the bassoon notes that we hear throughout the episodes Brian it's rare to get something in the tv soundtrack that's a bassoon feature so it's lovely to have it here now we then got a gap we've got 1959 to the mid 70s and in that gap of course small films doing other things they did the saga of Nog in the Nog personal favorite of mine they did the Pogles and Pogles Wood They, of course, did Clangers and Bagpuss, which we've talked about. But at some point, they come back to it, Brian. Yes. In 1975, Postgate and Furman were now working for the BBC, as we usually associate small films with working for the BBC. And they decided to remake the longer series of Ivor the Engine, the 1959 stuff, in color. And they added episodes to it as well. So they ended up with 40 five-minute episodes. So they went from 10-minute episodes to five-minute episodes... I think usually that was by speeding up the pacing more than splitting things up. And they ended up with this run of 40 episodes that were broadcast in 1976 and 1977. 
Now, those 26 episodes from 1959 were thought to be lost for a long time, but they actually found the 16mm film cans in one of the outbuildings on Peter Furman's farm in 2010. And this was the team who had been given the job of digitizing all of their work, you know, all the small films were after Postgate had passed away. He died in, in 2008. As far as we know, those episodes from 1959 have not been released in any form, but they do exist in archive, which is good to know. And we've come back to the subject of missing episodes of television shows in the mid part of the 20th century a few times, Brian. It is an endlessly fascinating subject and how delightful that we literally had a barn find here of the original 16mm films in their cans somewhere on Peter Furman's farm. Yeah, absolutely. And lots of things have been found. But it's also true that when we find out about an interesting show that was made in the 1970s or earlier, our first question is, does it still exist or is it missing? And a lot of the time, it seems like it's more common that it will be missing than that it will exist. So having these shows from the late 50s in archive, that's a big deal. It is indeed. So nice to know that they are back in the archive, even if we haven't been able to watch them. Absolutely. However, let's tell you what we have been able to watch. I'll try and do it chronologically. I'll, I'll say that the original six black and white episodes from 1958, they were released on a VHS tape, which of course is long deleted, but you can watch them for free officially on the Small Films Productions Facebook page. And I will put a link to that on our Facebook page and on Twitter when this episode comes out. So you can go and see the six original black and white ones. As we say, we haven't been able to watch the 1959 episodes. We don't know if they're available anywhere. Turning to the 1970s colour episodes, I have watched all of them streaming as part of my BritBox subscription here in the UK. So they are available on BritBox where they continue or they remain in their 45-minute episodes format. There's obviously a DVD. There's a couple of options. There's a complete set of all the colour episodes on DVD, which is about £18 over here. I've got that £24 box set, which I've talked about before, that includes a series one of Clangers, all of Bagpuss, and all of the colour, Ivor the Engines. But of course, Brian, you've noted that when they put these on DVD, they did something a bit strange with the format of 40 episodes. They sort of, they, they squidged some together into longer episodes, I believe. Yes, they did what are sometimes called omnibus versions. That term was often used for Doctor Who, but they took the episodes that were closely connected and strung them together into one long episode. So when you look on the DVD version, you have some five-minute episodes, some 10-minute episodes. There's one that's about 20 minutes and one that's about 23 minutes. So you have sort of varying lengths of episodes because they've stitched things together as opposed to leaving them all as separate episodes, which they did for BritBox. Right. And on my DVD, I notice it, they, they've, it says it's all of the colour over the engine, but they've now got it down to 24 episodes on this version, as you say, by omnibus or stitching episodes together. Yes, I think they made it into the first season into 14 
15 episodes and the second into 10 or something like that. But yes, they did those with a number of episodes, pulling them in together. Okay. We also quickly mentioned Cinema Paradiso, the DVD rental site over here in the UK. And yes, Ivor the Engine is available through Cinema Paradiso. Of course, it's not going to be quite so straightforward to be able to watch these episodes in Region 1, I'm guessing, Brian. No, there is no release in Region 1. And I don't think it is on North American BritBox either. So really, you're looking at importing Region 2 DVDs, which is what I did. Right. I will just mention a book. Oliver Postgate's memoir, Seeing Things, was recently part of a deal on the Kindle over here, and I have bought it. I haven't as yet read it, but hopefully next time we come back to small films, I will be able to report back on that book. Ah, very good. So next time, come and join us as we continue the adventures of Ivor the Engine, and in particular, we'll talk a little bit about the continuing story arcs that allowed them to stitch some episodes together for the DVD. And we're going to cover spin-offs of Ivor the Engine and some attempts or ways that the show has almost been revived. All this to come next time. Yes, absolutely. And we'll also give some of our own reviews and recommendations, our thoughts about Ivor the Engine and its various incarnations. And yeah, there's plenty to talk about. Until then, you can find all of our episodes on BritishInvaders.com, well over 400 of them now. And if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in on some of the conversations. You can also follow us or tweet at us on Twitter as at BritInvadersPod. And you can find British Invaders as a proud member of the Voice of Geeks network, which you will find at vognetwork.com. The Voice of Geeks for podcasts, for gaming, for various other bits and content, Twitch streaming and the like. Check it out at vognetwork.com. Yes, please do. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, Eamon in England also signing off. <laughs>